Read with me from verse 13 in Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Of course, they had the crucifixion had just happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. Can you imagine? They just stopped in their tracks. They were walking and think, What? Looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at a table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those that were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread so far. Junus is going to share a word with us this morning. And, um, you know, as one hope, uh, each year we have some of our leaders that come and share a message, and we love that. Uh, we have some great leaders and had some great messages in the past. Um, those of you that don't know, come, and come in into the camera, Eunice. Don't hide. Eunice is one of our elders and leaders. You've seen him leading services up here. He's married to three with two, Christopher and... and um, Callista. Callista. I get that. The, <laughs> Christopher and Callista, two wonderful children. Um, Eunice works for World Vision, so his week is kept busy with teams in lots of parts of the world where a lot of struggle is and managing teams and managing a lot of some of that stuff that I'm praying about, but so much more. Um, and he's very gifted in that. And we're really privileged to have him share the word this morning with us. So I'm going to pray for him and you pray for him too. And, and I'm going to pray the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you this morning. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for Eunice. We want to thank you for the man that he is. We want to thank you for the father and husband that he is. 
And as a community, we thank you for the leader that you've given us in him. We thank you for the influence he has in his normal day-to-day life, the things that you've called him to do, the many people that seek counsel from him, that he guides and leads in stressful situations. Lord, we thank you that you've gifted him for that. But Lord, we thank you that you've given him a word for us today. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to open our hearts to that word. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint him, that you would speak through him and allow him, uh, his words, to pierce our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you for his willingness to serve and we pray for a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. <clears throat> Morning, church. As Andrew said, um, please uh, keep the Bible open because we are going to make that reference um, throughout uh, the message today, this morning. Um, today we're going to talk about story. We are surrounded by stories. When we meet people, we share stories. Our story, other people's story, they're all part of our life as we engage with community. In the wedding, at the funeral, people remember us from our story. That makes us human. The Bible is packed with stories. Jesus used stories to teach his disciples, preachers, Sunday school teachers use stories in their teaching. We see stories used heavily in marketing, advertisement, in leadership conversations, in coaching. Stories are everywhere, from the dining room even to the courtroom. People use stories to bring message, to articulate certain things that are probably more difficult if we just use sentences. An interesting fact, there are millions of stories in the world, but it doesn't stop writers, whether it's old writers or new writers, to continue writing new stories. Same thing with movies, which is another form of storytelling. Although there are lots of movies, we still Hollywood, Bollywood, or any wood, continue to produce new movies. The fact is, human loves stories. We love to read it, watch it, hear it, and even we love to, and we enjoy telling it and spread the same stories. A neuroscientist named Paul Zak discovered through his research that when a well-told story happens, it's actually released, this is going to be a challenge for me to pronounce it, called oxy, oxytocin. So when we hear story and when we engage in story, actually the, our human hormone release this oxytocin. So this is a neurochemical that tells the brain that it is safe to trust someone. That's, that's the oxytocin. So oxytocin is often called the, the love hormone because, because of its role in forging human connections and creating empathy. In 2014, uh, one of the articles features uh, uh, Paul Zak's work uh, from the Harvard Business Review. Uh, Paul Zak said that when stories follow a certain pattern, that that pattern is when it's developing and continues sustaining that development of tension throughout that storytelling, people become invested in the outcome. So 
I think we all experience that when we watch movie, when we listen to stories, uh, when the story continue evolve, and 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 that that's the, uh, it's kind of like that that my 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 children always say, oh, that's the cliffhanger. It's like always bring us into that uh, uh, that connections. Uh, so a strong emotional connection form between the audience and the storyteller, and that bond is so strong. Listen, this one. That bond is so strong that listeners literally start feeling the emotions of the storyteller, and the feel good that oxytocin hormone is released. Once it's released, um, the Paul Zach said, once it's released. It's more likely that the listeners will trust the storytellers and take whatever action the storyteller asks them to take. So how that strong that that connection of the story and the hormones came out from 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 us as a listener, as an audience. That's no wonder. That's why companies today's multi-million dollar companies spend a lot of money try to learn how to do a good storytelling, whether it is. In their annual report, and obviously in their marketing, in their commercial, in their advertisement, so they can influence and persuade the audience. So as a result, we see the world is now packed with more stories. We are surrounded by story, good stories, bad stories, funny ones, sad one, inspiring one, domestic, international, even those are from another universe. For example, the one from Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay, if that's too difficult for you to now grasp what I'm going to leading on, let me just simplify that. Um, how is that actually story that is out there is actually now start to bring us into that their story. So the story that other people create are now kind of like usher us into their story, or vice versa. We don't realize that. Remember the commercial that. Um, yeah, that commercial happened when I was when as a family we were still living in uh, overseas. But once in a while we saw that commercial and it just gave me a giggle. Remember that Telstra broadband commercial, where a conversation between a boy and a father in a car, and a boy asked his father, "What is that Great Wall of China?" Remember that one? <laughs> yeah. And then for some reason the father was confused and just say. Randomly, that's the that's emperor of Nasi Goreng involved in that process. What is that purpose of? It just actually bring a lot of connections. The Jamie Crack commercial, that's that's yeah, we bring a lot of people's story into that in that in that in that uh, in, in that commercial. If you're not aware of Jamie Crack's problem, most people who like myself who struggling with the weight. So yeah, the, 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 that lost weight uh, 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 story of how that's the finish the commercial say, Jenny Craig's works because of the story that they put into that commercial. So so commercial are now bringing a lot of stories to connect with audience, and we start as an audience we start to kind of like sympathy and also kind of like see ourselves in that story in that storyline, and and obviously we know what is the purpose we can. We can basically follow what is their guidance in that in that commercial. When people spend long hours watching multiple episodes of TV series, it's not just because it's the nice it's a nice storyline. It is, but actually watching and listening to that story to other people's story, it also provide a platform for us to escape, 
auto-connect. Yeah, sometimes both. Yeah, either way, we basically, we got sucked into that storyline. And for some situation, we are part of that storyline. And all, sometimes we borrow that storyline. That's also one of the reasons why I personally like to read biography. Because sometimes for me, living the world, it's just for me difficult to articulate my story. And then I was like, it's not just because English is not my first language, but also difficult to find that how do we, whether that's, that's my story is just exclusive, my situation that I grew up in Indonesia. But for example, the, 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 the recent book that I read, uh, Becoming from Michelle Obama, there's a lot of story that she shared in that, in that book. I was like, I can associate with that one. And I can start to see how that story amplified in my life and I can, I also use that. So actually, that, that's, that's the things. Story bring that connection. So why I'm telling this one? As I said, the, our world is now packed with stories. Those stories are in competitions to get our attention. And over time, we start to associate our life with that story. And the worst things that our life associate with the fictional story that created by Hollywood, by any writers, or through advertisement that try to start to tell us, hmm, perhaps this is the this is the narrative you need to adopt. And at some point we start to confuse with our identity. Because that story continue bombarding in our life. A lot of story around us, a lot of story confuse us. My wife and I would take every opportunity to tell stories to our children. Andrew and Trudis, my family before. So stories are vital in our, in our family, a vital staple in our family. It's not just food, but stories. We use dinner time, play time, any time that we have to tell stories. What stories? Basically stories about our family, where I came from, where my wife came from. And the two stories joined together become one stories. So, we talk about our childhood in Indonesia, the game we play, the food we ate, the culture, the wet market, the smell, the noise, everything we tell them. And we took them over there as well. We talk about their grandparents, their uncles, their aunties. We make it very specific. It's not just uncle, it's not just auntie. They're actually uncle number one, has a different name with uncle number two, so and so forth. That's the culture that we want them to understand. The reason is why? Because they are so far, they are remote. So that's why we have to bring that to them. We explain our blended Indonesian, Chinese, Christian. It's a blended now. So, so it's just not, not just we grew up in Indonesia. We also have, we have, we have a Chinese heritage. We're also Christians. And as a result, some of the cultures that we still celebrate, we have to really filter it and we explain to our children why in a Chinese festival we, we join that festival but there are certain things in that festival we don't do because of it, it's not longer fit into the Chinese, uh, sorry, in the Christian value. So that, that's one of the reasons why we have to explain that so they are able to make sense of those things. So there are three purposes. There are many purposes, but there are three purposes why we are doing this deliberately, intentionally, when we share story, our story to our children. The first one is we want to make sure that children have that connection with our past, with the extended family, whether we do have uh, my cousin here in Australia, but we also have a larger extended family outside Australia. And we want them to know that they are part of that family. 
that larger family. The second thing is, from that story, we want them to be able to make sense because they are now living in a different story here in Australia. So they are not confused. Well, obviously they will confuse if we don't explain, but now they understand why sometimes the way I pronounce or my wife pronounce certain things in English is very different because we came from different cultures. The, the way we practice things with our family is very different with, the, with the, the, the family that they know from their classmates. So, so those are very important for them to start using our story to make sense of their surrounding. I hope gradually they start to know where I'm going to lead this, to, this, 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 uh, this message to. And the last one is, so they don't forget. Yeah, because the story of where they're coming from is actually start from our story. It's their part of their identity. Now, apology for the, that long introductions. Now let's come back to the, 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 the passage that Andrew read for us this morning in Luke chapter 24, 13 to 35. So I hope you still have your Bible with you. Um, so if you see from verse 13, uh, 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 Andrew already explained that, that actually that, this story, this narrative happened on the day on that very Sunday. So that it started with that very day. It's a very important part because it's, it's kind of like put us into the context that that very day is a very confusing day. It's Sunday morning, uh, they, uh, uh, so, so that, that day where they just actually passed through the weekend, the weekend full of many, many events. Yeah, and we know that who are these two uh, disciples, who are these two people that are walking. So yeah, we call them disciples because it's the few hints in the Bible. Um, so if we, if, we, if we see that uh, one of them is named Cleopas, it's clear in uh, verse 18. But the other, name, the other person, we didn't have that name. Um, but also we know that they are disciples. Where, where did we know that they are disciples? Because they have a, a, a strong connection with the eleven. So if you see, quickly look at the, um, uh, uh, the, the lower part, uh, verse, verse 33. So verse 33 uh, telling us that they are able to find where, where, where the, the 11 disciples uh, were. The point is that when Jesus was captured on Friday night, that created a huge frightened uh, in the disciples. They scattered. They, are, they were in hiding. So when they're in hiding, how can these two people know? That means these two people is actually part of the larger group. So we know that Jesus' disciples has two groups, the, 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 the 12 and then the larger groups that Jesus sent uh, to, to, to preach to different villages. So at that moment, obviously, we know that uh, Judas uh, already uh, uh, gone. Uh, so that's, that's become the 11th. So that's where you see uh, verse 33. And then, um, so we, we, we know that uh, uh, they, they, they are walking from, Emma, uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus, that's seven miles. So just, just keep that in mind, that seven miles is about 11.26 kilometer. So that's 11.26 kilometer according to Google map. <laughs> that's about two hours and 23 minutes walk. So probably from here we walk to Burwood. Maybe, yeah. So yeah, just, just, just have that, that kind of like imaginations. Ah, that's the distance how they walk and that's where this conversation took place. How Jesus meet, met them and then have that conversation. Beautiful. I would love to have a, a traveling companion two hours and 30, 23 minutes 
to have that deep conversations. So now, let's, let's see what, what happened in this conversation. So basically, um, as we read that in the Bible, that they were confused. They're confused. Why they were confused? Because there are a lot of things happen over the weekend. And then uh, they, they basically confused because the, the, the things that happen over the weekend doesn't fit with the narrative that they've been building. They saw how Jesus led multitude of people preach and people were amazed. People were so captured with the, 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 the teaching. They saw how Jesus uh, 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 fed 5,000 people of men uh, and, and, and an uncounted number of women and children. Uh, so the miracles that Jesus did capture their heart and they start to see all these things and they build their narrative. They probably see that this is, this is the Messiah that's going to conquer the Romans' uh, 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 government. And, and, and this is the Messiah that they, they, they can rely on and that they can free, free, free them one day. So all these things, they, when they follow Jesus, it starts to build up, build up and then they form their own narrative, their own story. But over the weekend, this thing's gone. The Messiah, the teacher that we respect, that we have a big hope, are now gone. It's not just gone, but that, that, that process, that Friday, that Saturday, how Jesus was parade, the public humiliation, it just doesn't make sense. We thought that he has that power to, 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 to do miracle and that, power, that, that, that same power will, 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 will prevent this Saturday, uh, that weekend things to happen. But that was not the case. At that time, what's, what's the context? The context is obviously Roman occupations. They, they, they were too many leaders, too many teaching. You had the Sanhedrin, the, 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 the Jewish leaders, the, um, um, yeah, the, the different Bible teachers. So they're all giving more different rules. So they're basically also surrounded by rules. And, but they also see a lot of different messages that, that, uh, um, that happened over that weekend and they become confused. As, so to cut the, the, the long story short, they were confused. They start that journey. That journey probably start at around 3 p.m. Yeah. So as you see, if they start that by 3 p.m., two and a half hours, they walk. By the time they arrive in Emmaus, that's the evening time. That's why they invited Jesus to, 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 to join them. So, in verse 25, when they were in that confusion, Jesus approached them. And that's what Jesus said. Oh, foolish one, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophet have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into the glory? Because they were so confused about all the, the, the narrative and then Christ now died the Messiah that they thought is the Messiah died. And they, they just don't know how to reconcile that things. And then Jesus again made that emphasis. But the Bible, the, 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 the prophet have spoken these things. The, the prophet has spoken that, that, that these things. So one of the things that capture my mind now, if you pay attention what uh, Cleopas said in verse 21, when Jesus approached him. Verse 21, but we had hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. So clearly, Cleopas has the right theology, has the right understanding. He knew that 
the Messiah will be the one that redeemed Israel. But then, it's still a disconnect understanding. It is still disconnect because they, they, they kind of like take that in isolations between the word redeem and the word Messiah. So this is something very, very interesting because clearly they should understand the word redeem. What does it, what does it mean by redeem? Because all Jewish people, they grow up by learning the, the Old Testament. In Leviticus uh, 27, basically tell a lot of things about if, if redeem, what does it mean by redeem? It's something to do with payment of price. And in that context, what happened? They just celebrate the Passover. The Passover has a very clear message about redemption, about, about sacrifices. So they just come, over, come, come, come out from that uh, celebrations, but then they kind of like don't know how to connect those things. Yeah. So this can be also a question for us today. As we follow Jesus' instructions to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper on a regular basis, are we also similar with Cleopas? So we know that, yeah, the Lord's Supper is, is about, it, it's Jesus' instruction to remind us about, about his, his redeeming work on the cross. Or are we just celebrating it just because it's in the church calendar and then we, we forget the meaning of that celebration? Exactly what Cleopas just experienced. The Passover didn't help them understand about the, 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 that Christ has to be suffered. Now let's look at the verse 25 to 27. And he said to them, O foolish one, and slow of heart to believe that the prophet have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. So this is a very important part. So for Jesus to help them understand, to make that bridge, to, to, to help them reconcile all the story that is fragmented, is actually to bring them back to the Bible. And not just certain passages of the Bible. In verse 27 it says, And the beginning with Moses, with Pentateuch, with the five books at the beginning of the Bible. And all the prophets. The keyword here is all. All the prophets. He interpreted to them in all the scripture. So it's very important for, 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 for us to, to, to pick this, this nuance. And I, I hope it's no longer a nuance because it's now very clear that to link all this story, we really need to have that big picture of that biblical story. Without that understanding of the whole biblical story, if we just pick just by convenience, we actually get confused and we don't know how to reconcile the story. The biblical narrative should be the foundation for us to interpret and making sense of the contemporary event that is happening even in our context today. We live in a postmodern world and the narrative of the postmodern world continue to pull us apart from the biblical narrative. The challenges from the postmodern philosophy become so real, not only attack the core narrative of our belief, but also our identity. Dr. Sarah Williams, a research professor in history of Christianity at Regent College in Canada, said the postmodern era has four characteristics, but because of time, I just want to focus on some of that. 
So she said that the, character, the characteristic of this uh, postmodern era, basically, it, it seems like there are four, but it's actually, they all work together. Introduce dislocations, introduce inventions, fluidity, and tension. So these are all four come together. So let me explain that. The dislocation is the one that is, uh, it's, I mean, they're all very, 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 very uh, little, actually, very little. But the dislocations that the, 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 the postmodern era introduced is basically start to introduce something that challenges our thinking and, 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 and inject into our narrative and basically say that uh, uh, the, the, the past is, is no longer relevant with us. The past is no longer relevant with us. So we live in our own world today. So, so, so many things that happened in the past, and then, and then the, if, if you start to see that all the, 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 the things that happened in the past deliberately get bring out to the present time and challenge the narrative of the past. You see all the colonialism that happened in the past. Is it really fit into our thinking today? Yeah, that, that's just one of the big things, and, and that's why we have a lot of these, these conversations happen today. So basically, even, even in the church, sometimes we, there, there's always a, a movement to always say that, why we have to keep practicing these things? Uh, this is already too outdated. It, it's no longer relevant into our narrative today. So that spirit of disconnect, disjoining the past from present, subtle, but, but very little and continues coming from many directions. 1984 is one of the novel uh, that's quite, quite, quite challenging. So Animal Farm, you know, the writers, George Orwell. George Orwell has this popular quote saying, the most effective way to destroy people is to deny and obliterate their own understanding of their history. That's the most effective way to destroy people. And we, we see that history actually used that in many ways, become of one of their weapons, to deliberately disconnect this group of people with their past. Directions, moving forward, directions requires identity. And identity generates directions. If our identity already disconnect from the past, where are we going? If we are no longer clear where we came from, how can we go? How, how, how do we know that where we are going? So it's actually these dislocations from the postmodern spirit is not just disconnect us with our past, but also just telling us that we live in this present world also disconnect us with our future. So that's, that's a very, very important thing here. The biblical story has a beginning, has present, but also has an end. That's why when we look at the Bible, it's very clear. There's a beginning in our story. And today we are still living in the story, but it is not something that is continuously looping, looping, and then we get tired. No, there is an end in that story as well. That's the beautiful of Christian teaching. That's the beautiful of the biblical view. That's a very clear that there's a creation. Yes, we acknowledge there's a fall, but there is also a redemption and there's a consummation. There is an end. So we are not living in a loop. 
We need to be rooted in this biblical story. If we have forgotten, it is time for us to recover our memory. And of course, uh, the other thing is, is this, this postmodern era to continue uh, 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 introduce that invention. You need to reinvent yourself because this is fluid, so, so we don't have time to get into that one. But it's very, a very, very interesting things uh, that, that this, this uh, 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 and very little, as I said already. So here's my invitations today. Be aware of the narrative or the story around us. Yeah, we can watch movie, we can listen to song, we can start to see a lot of different lyrics that are that that, 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 that that are around us. But be aware. Yeah. One of the exercises that me and my family and my children we love to do that. When we watch story, we actually watch it critically. We start to see how the story, the plot changes. And, and, and that, like last night we were watching uh, this new Cinderella and it was just clear for us. Even my children now start to pick, ah, they start to inject this idea into this story. Uh, these are the narratives that are changing. And I, I told them that, hey, watch, the Cinderella story probably will continue. Maybe when they have their own children, there's another remake of that Cinderella and you will see how the narrative of Cinderella changes as well. Yeah, it is a very interesting thing. Yeah, you, you see a lot of this. Uh, I think, I think uh, 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 the, 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 the way the storytellers start to deconstruct story and, and, and the, the, the value that we, we see in the past that are absolute, and now they say, no, it's not necessary that way. Yeah. The, 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 the evildoers in the past, we all, it's very clear. Uh, in the past, the storytelling uh, was that if you're, if you're good, you will, you, you, will, you will win at the end. Uh, and and if, if these are the bad people, this is the way you have to deal with the bad people. But now, the way storytelling are deconstruct of everything and start telling that, hmm, perhaps the bad people has a reason why they become bad. That's why you have this single story about Joker. You have a single story telling about the Maleficent. Is it Maleficent? Start to, start to give a new narrative into that evil characters. What is that purpose? It's not for entertainment. Be careful. There are a lot of stories uh, around us. We need to be very aware of that narrative and how it's influenced us and how we, without we realize, going into that story. So that's the invitation number one. Be aware. But the invitation number two is, uh, is we need to understand how our story connect to the biblical story. The same way with the two disciples. They were confused. They were confused with all these stories that happened around us. Jesus went to them. Jesus helped them understand by connect their story with the events that happened around them with the biblical story. Connect with the biblical story. Our, our story, our life, here today, in this world, with the things happening in Afghanistan, with the things happening in Australia, with the pandemic, these are all this single story that needs to be understand. We are in the history. We need to connect with that one. And we need to understand history is actually his story. It's God's story. It's our team today. Otherwise, we get confused. Invitation number three. Make a deliberate attempt to teach yourself your children, people around you, to connect to that story. So it makes sense. Remember 
Pastor Andrew last week mentioned about how at the Lord's Supper or the Passover, the, the, the father will ask the children, what do you remember about the story? So that conversation is interesting because that is a deliberate attempt to always remember and connect to that bigger story. It's not just the single things that happened in that life on that very night. But there is the purpose to connect back to that story. So as a closing, I want to, I want to read uh, this paragraph uh, that published in, uh, it's, still, I, uh, it's still in the web page, in the ABC uh, web page. It's the article from Professor Alistair McGrath. He's a professor of science and religions at the University of Oxford. And the article titled, Mapping the Incarnations, How the Christian Narrative Makes Sense of Our World. Uh, it's, it's a few years old back, but it's, it's in, still in the web page. So this is what he wrote. I always wanted to align my life with what was true. Discovering the truthful, unfortunately, proved to be rather more difficult than I had realized. Remember, he's a scientist. I stopped being an atheist while I was a student at Oxford University late in 1971, partly because of my growing realization of the intellectual overambitions of the form of atheism. I had earlier exposed but also because I came to realize that Christianity offered a way of making sense of the world I observed around me and experienced within me. Christianity does offer me a rational, uh, ras uh, sorry, offer me a rationally plausible and imaginatively compelling big picture of reality that brought my worlds and concerns into focus. It is not so much a collection of isolated individual beliefs, but a web of interconnected beliefs, which gains its strength and appeal partly because of its comprehensiveness and partly because of its intellectual and imaginative resilience. Christian theology weaves together the thread of biblical truth to disclose a pattern of meaning, like a tapestry which brings many individuals threads together, those allowing their deeper significance and interconnections to be appreciated. Let us connect our story to the biblical story. Let us anchor our stories to Jesus. Let Jesus be the center of our story.